change the way it's done, do it quicker, faster, whatever it is, that's true innovation. How'd they do that? Step number one would be try it. Have you tried? What, what innovation are you talking about? What's the number one priority? What do we have to innovate first? Hi everyone, Mark here and welcome to the Indifference Podcast, where I have conversations with people at the top of our game and try and uncover what is it they do to create progress in key areas. There's a lot of talk out there about what's the best way that business models can give people a fair chance at getting their ideas up and running. One of the proposed solutions to this is to reimagine business models using blockchain technology. On this episode of Indifference, Morgan Dean joins the podcast from Zurich, where he's the CEO of Swiss investment bank, Adder Helfea. Morgan is originally an international lawyer, and throughout his career, he's worked with some of the world's biggest financial institutions. But today, the theme of our conversation will be what Morgan has been working on in his private capacity over recent years. He is an advisor and angel investor in early stage companies focusing on blockchain technology. There's a lot of noise about cryptocurrencies and blockchain, so I'm really looking forward to our conversation where we can unpack what is so interesting about this technology and what difference it can make to our future. So I really hope you pick up some insights along the way, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Morgan, thanks very much for joining me today. Really looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Mark. Good, uh, Good to be here. Good stuff. Well, we might just kick off and just get straight into it and just ask that initial question of you know, what first got you interested in blockchain? I suppose it's a lot to do with the fact that I live in Switzerland. I mean, Switzerland has, over the last five, six years, has become what's known as Crypto Valley, which is the kind of cryptocurrency and blockchain equivalent of Silicon Valley. So a lot of what goes on here day to day is very blockchain driven. I mean, for me, I don't bat an eyelid seeing a, a Bitcoin ATM on the street or bat an eyelid when I can pay my taxes in Bitcoin. That's sort of the level we're at in, in Switzerland. So blockchain is very much part of everyday life here at this point. I also joined a group called Disruption Disciples, which is a think tank and a sort of collaborative community for people who are involved in, disrupt, in disruptive technologies. And in there, there's been a lot of very successful tech founders. Many of them are focused on blockchain it led me to kind of really kind of understand what this was. And, you know, I saw the potential it had. It was a very interesting learning curve for me. I saw the value of blockchain, saw the value of cryptocurrency. And pretty much since 2019, I've been you know, actively investing and advising startups, building up a, a portfolio based on, on blockchain and cryptocurrencies. So you have like really interesting background over the years. Now you've worked with some of the biggest financial institutions on the planet. So I, I guess people would associate them with a more traditional uh, way of, of providing a financial service. This kind of seems a bit more innovative, a bit more radical, a new way of doing things. So for yourself, what was kind of the real drivers that made you think, hang on a second, this is something that we you know, might need to have a bigger look at and something that I actually want to get involved in? Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, everyone I have worked with throughout my career has been very traditionally focused. And this is this is pretty much the the antithesis of centralized finance. This is this is a massive change that's coming now. You know, with the organization I'm, I'm working with right now on a professional basis, we are exploring how we can adopt blockchain and certain elements of, of cryptocurrencies potentially into the business. But the truth of the matter is that the real power behind what's going on here is to take 
all of those centralized services and just get rid of them and make make the world a much flatter place. What got me particularly involved is I, you know, I've made an entire career out of banking, so I'm not going to turn around now and say, you know, how, that it's a terrible thing to have been working in. I'm, I'm very happy to have been part of it. But during the course of my career, I've also seen the shortfalls of it. And one of those big shortfalls is that if you're in the system and you have access to the benefits of the system, it's great. But there's almost a third of the world's population sits outside the financial system. They can't even access the most basic payment and banking services. So that's a real problem. It doesn't matter how great we think the banking system is. If it excludes people, then it's a problem. And that's, for me, one of the things that has led me to look at this more, to see the, the fact that it gives people, basically, gives everybody the power into their own hands. A lot of the stuff that I've been reading up on, you know, blockchain and particularly fintech, you know, it's really kind of talking about, you know, supporting the, or well, what's that for banking the unbanked. Yeah. And uh, maybe changing some of the, the typical business models of how uh, of how these companies give people a stake and really uh, include them in this kind of cr- crucial element of uh, of uh, society. So when you're working with kind of startups and some more organizations who are kind of using blockchain technology to solve some of these issues, you know, how do you know what to focus on? Well, I mean, for, from my point of view, I, I come into this with a very you know, specific skill set. Uh, I, what I know and what I understand is, you know, the building of companies, business models, how you raise funds, what, how regulation affects that. And like I said, I, I have the area, the thing that I care about is like leveling the playing field and, and creating more inclusion in the system. So in terms of what I focus on, I, I focus on coming into projects where I can actually add value, where I can, I can point people in the direction of saying, well, this is what we do today and this is what isn't working. So therefore, this would be something that you should focus on. But I go back to the point you made just earlier on about banking the unbanked. The one thing I really do want to stress about blockchain is that at the moment when we talk about it, we're hearing examples within finance as to how blockchain could work. But blockchain is not a financial or a fintech solution. Blockchain is something much, much bigger. It's a technology that really is revolutionary. And the reason I say it's revolutionary is that I think it will change the way that the world's commerce and world society will function in, in like, let's say, 10 years' time. So if, if we compare it to the internet, I mean, the, the internet was revolutionary because it changed our relationship with data in a way that we never anticipated. You know, 30 years ago, um, you're probably a bit too young for this, but I grew up in a world where we got our information from encyclopedias. Now I've gone in my lifetime, I have gone from struggling to get information to finding myself in a place where now we have too much information and we, we have to now start exploring artificial intelligence and ways to try and actually properly process the information we have. What blockchain will do for commerce and for society is it will revolutionize the way we do business with each other. Now, everything you hear about right now is those things like we're going to bank the unbanked. People don't need a bank account. You don't need banks to do you know, payments. That's all true. But you had an interesting podcast a couple of weeks ago where you had Bill Owlett on the, on the show and he made reference to the fact that being an entrepreneur or having an entrepreneurial mindset is not, it doesn't mean you have to have a startup. It's a, it's a mindset which can be applied either in the job you're in day to day, or it can be do something you do on the side. And I think he absolutely hit the nail on the head. There are a lot of entrepreneurial mindsets out there, people who may not have startups. And I think we see this more and more in, in something like the lockdown during coronavirus, where, where many people 
have actually excelled. They've come out of lockdown better people than they were when they went in because they've they've started to just find new things to engage themselves in. And that entrepreneurial mindset, what it can basically do is it means that every single individual on the planet can use blockchain to engage in commerce differently. So for example, we've already seen artists creating uh, not just digital art, but physical art, and they're putting them onto these NFTs, these non-fungible tokens. Now, it's a bit of a bubble at the moment, I guess. There, there are some uh, questionable valued art pieces out there. I, I can't comment on it because I'm not an art expert, so I'm not going to say whether they're overvalued or undervalued. But what I will say is that it is giving artists an opportunity to create and share their work and to be properly remunerated from it in a way that wasn't possible before. The same for musicians. You know, you're what we're looking at here with NFTs is that we are potentially creating a whole new world of things that people can invest in and a whole new world of opportunities for, for entrepreneurs like artists and music musicians to, to make money from what they're doing. I'll give you two other examples, which I think are maybe would illustrate the point a little bit better. There's a project called Brave. Brave is a blockchain project that they've issued their own cryptocurrency, which is called the BAT token, stands for Basic Attention Token. And what Brave effectively is, is a web browser. It looks exactly like Safari. You can download it on your phone and you won't even know the difference when you're using it. But what Brave does is it removes all of the adverts. So when you are uh, reading articles using the Brave browser, you're not getting all these pop-ups and these irritating ads. Now, phase two of their project will be to create a reward system where you can choose, yes, I will allow ads to pop up in front of me. And when you do, each advertiser compensates you in the form of cryptocurrency. You get micropayments in your web browser wallet and you're paid in, in the native token, Bash tokens. Now, what that effectively means is that when this project is up and running properly, today you have Google getting paid by the advertisers and then using information from your web searches to target you with ads. That's how Google's revenue model works. Brave's revenue model is to take a small platform fee for the transactions that are happening between you and the advertiser. But the advertiser is paying you. The middleman has been removed and you're now transacting directly with the guy who wants to advertise a flight to Dubai or whatever else it is that pops up on your screen. But you start to generate a passive income from just being on the internet, which is something that, um, you, know, that you can't do today. Another example is a project called Jelly, which is being piloted in South America, basically focusing on plastic recycling. And the way it works is that through blockchain, every piece of plastic is being tracked. And if you recycle the plastic properly, you get paid in uh, the native Jelly tokens, which can then be transferred and cashed in for, for real cash. Again, all you're doing is recycling in the way that you're supposed to be recycling anyway, but now you have a financial incentive by removing people in the middle and allowing you to basically transact with the platform directly, you're getting paid for it. So there's an entrepreneurial element to almost everything you do. And this is only the tip of the iceberg. I mean, obviously, when this becomes mainstream, you're going to have people coming up with weird and wonderful ways of people just generating money doing stuff they do every day. Actually, pretty interesting even just to hear you talk about that. You know, when it goes mainstream, as if, well, it isn't mainstream yet, you know, so kind of fairly early on in this technology being put out there, I think is blockchain technology only, what, less than 15 years older? Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin was the first uh, blockchain-based project, and that was 2009. I think it was when the, the really early sort of tech adopters got their hands dirty with Bitcoin. So you can say it's slightly longer than 10 years, really. There were so many interesting things happening in the world back then, you know, looking at global uh, economic crash and so on. Linking that in with, you know, the people who are actually either driving the innovation behind this or the people who are really kind of the first users of it. What do you think it is about that, that whole concept of 
blockchain where it's this, you know, really traceable online ledger like what you say people in the middle are, are cut out and everyone on the network can essentially see all the transactions that are taking place so no nothing can be copied nothing can be duplicated very little fraud within that network essentially or at least that's kind of the underlying principle why do you think certain people are, are focusing on on blockchain at the very beginning the people who were focusing on it were probably uh, I would almost say kind of blockchain anarchists. And they were, I mean, you made the link to the financial crisis of 2008, which is probably a perfect kind of point to bring in here, is that there was a time back in 2008, 2009, when the world had lost faith in banks, it had lost faith in regulation, it had lost faith in governments. We had a period of a uh, number of years where there was extreme austerity measures. Some governments actually froze assets in banks. Those people were, uh, there were a lot of people within that uh, within that time who were I would say very negatively affected by what happened. So they were they were the ones who were driving it initially, and probably with the wrong kind of drivers behind them. In the sense that they were coming out and saying, "We need to get rid of governments. We need to get rid of banks." I mean, that's not how blockchain is going to be adopted mainstream. You know, you need to be a little bit more, I think, measured than that. And that's what has happened in the last sort of three or four years is that we have now seen banks opening up to blockchain and saying, well, you know, maybe we need to explore ways we can use this. And we're now looking at other projects that are coming onto blockchain, which are using like real world use cases. And that's, I think, a positive thing. But I think we also shouldn't underestimate the generational thing, the shift that's happening too, is we've got Generation Z becoming more active now in, in the economy. These are people who probably, many of them, were kids 10 years ago when their parents may have lost their homes through the financial crisis when the banks repossessed them and grew up seeing living and struggling to get through their teens because they would look back in that time now and say, say, well, I struggled because of bad acts of banks and the bad acts of government. So these people are coming into their 20s and they're giving a legitimate alternative to depending on banks and governments. And of course, they're now driving that uh, change as well. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. We, we might touch on that a bit further up the road, maybe on you know, some of the specific things that, you know, that, that generation are using the technology for. But, you know, before we get there, when you're working on some of these blockchain projects, you know, how do you know if your approach is, is actually working and creating progress? Well, I think my value coming into any project is that I, you know, I'm coming in with a, in some ways I have a foot on each side of the line here. I'm you know, coming from the traditional financial system and understand the way things were done. And I'm looking at and working with tech people who haven't really maybe got the depth of financial experience I have, but have identified a problem that needs fixing. So in terms of you know, how my contribution is helping, I guess for me, the real measuring tool is how successful a project can be in terms of getting off the ground. And part of that is, is funding and part of it is helping people to understand that you can first of all generate income and raise money for your business using blockchain and you don't need the help of anyone. Now, like I'm working with a number of organizations privately. I'm working with, uh, firstly, with an organization called Seedstars, which is a Swiss-based organization and they act as a accelerator and incubator for startups in emerging market countries. So there's a heavy focus in Africa, Southeast Asia, South America. If you go to a startup in Silicon Valley, there's a fair chance they're coming up with a dating app or a social media app. When you go down to Africa, they're not focusing on cat videos. They're focusing on things that are going to help with perhaps uh, agribusiness, fresh water supply, wealth distribution, things that are real world problems for real people. And What's interesting there is because the problems mightn't be as exciting and because they don't have ex access to investors in Silicon Valley, 
they struggle to raise the funds. So, you know, Seastars is doing immense work in that in that sense in, in getting and incubating these projects. But in there, I see I'll come across projects which have potential to raise money through blockchain. So even at later stages of funding, I would see opportunities for them to grow and, and bring not just investors, but collaborators, like a supportive community of people who care about what they're doing, who will also be their funders. And each time I see that happening, I, I feel, okay, the, you know, the approach is working well here. I'm also, I've recently become involved with a project called Unit Ventures, which I think is probably, of all of the things I work on, is the one that's 100% aligned with how I think things are going to go. It's creating a token economy. And by that, I mean, Unit Ventures builds its own blockchain, a unit chain, and it invites, ideally, hundreds of millions of people to join this community where they will form an, almost like an economy. And in there, everybody purchases tokens of the unit chain and they begin to interact with each other. And phase one would be to focus on underrepresented entrepreneurs. So these would be typically people like small businesses, artists, musicians, maybe people even who are focusing on things that are less exciting for venture capital funds, like maybe education or sustainability. And the idea is that they come to the platform, they create their own token, which people can buy. And by buying that token, you're investing in their business. You're not just an investor, though. You're a supporter. You're somebody who's championing their cause. You're helping them grow. So it's a supportive community. And we, we would envisage that within Unit Ventures, there will be several different silos, different kinds of businesses. And within that, who knows where it'll grow? You know, that's really the idea behind Unit Ventures is build a token economy, show people how it works, let it grow organically. And that's kind of how I think, you know, when you measure whether it's working, it's how many people start to grow this and how it, how it seems to work. And even when, when you're looking back on the, the progress that's been made in very short space of time, like what we were saying, we're talking 10 or 15 years here. What do you think it is about this particular technology that allows people to, to take it and to work with it in so many diverse uh, settings in different ways? Well, it's, it's open source. So from a technology point of view, it's open to everybody to develop and build on it. So you don't really need to go through. Again, the removal of a middleman is a major step in the, in the right direction. The second part is that so many projects and entrepreneurs die a death in their first phase of fundraising. They can't actually get money. So many ideas fall away and never see the light of day just because they can't get the money. And what that tends to do then is it, it leaves you with just the very highly scalable, uh, highly revenue generating business models, which end up with the venture capital investors and, and eventually become successful. And so many people with good ideas are excluded. So the fact that you're not focusing on people needing to raise money from one or two people who say, yeah, I like your idea, that you're switching over to a model where you're saying, I've got an idea. Now I'm going to put it out there and build a community around me of people who care. I think an excellent example is what's uh, happening this year with the company called Oatly. Oatly is the Swedish company that makes oat milk or, or and other vegan milks. It's a very, very successful company. They're looking at going to list on the New York Stock Exchange this year and will be looking at a, a valuation of somewhere in the region of $10 billion. What's interesting about it is that a company like Oatly has a very, very distinct narrative around it. They're all about sustainability. They're all about the environment. And they're heavily supported by people who are, if not vegan, then they're heavily plant-based. They're people who care about the environment. Their customers were probably champions of their cause. and. All of those millions of customers would have been more than happy to invest into Oatly to get it up and running and off the ground. Now, Oatly, I'm not saying they've done the wrong thing. They're very successful and they will raise a lot of money. But it's a, I feel like it's a little bit of a pity that you don't give the opportunity to all of the people who are customers of yours 
to become investors of yours as well from the very, very beginning. Because I think in a world where you're totally decentralized with a population of 7 billion people, I don't think raising $10 billion would be that hard at all. Um, you could easily bring people into the net who buy into your story. And that's something which Generation Z is very, 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 very focused on is what does the company represent? What are their values? Are they aligned with mine? So I think um, this is what will make this successful and make it easier is that companies can focus on their idea, focus on their value, and then build their investor and supporter base around them without needing to convince a venture capital fund that this is worthwhile. You know, let, let your supporters be your investors as well. Within that, then, Morgan, looking back over some of them projects and you know, maybe some of the factors that actually make some of these ideas get up and running, like what you say, you know, grow, begin to kind of attract people in and build a community around that. Within that space, you know, what have been some of your biggest insights so far? Probably my first biggest insight as to why, first of all, this would be important is I think what happened with uh, coronavirus. I mean, if we think about, if we just go back a little bit to the end of 2019, we were about to enter the 2020s, new decade, full of enthusiasm. We were patting ourselves on the back for what an amazing world we had become, how we had so many huge tech companies that were doing amazing things. And then two months later, we have coronavirus and suddenly the world is on its knees. And uh, despite all of these amazing entrepreneurs in the world, we don't seem to have any solutions to help deal with, a, with a, an issue like a virus. And yes, technology helped us. It helped us to work remotely. It helped us to stay in touch with each other. But, you know, after, the, after we stopped sharing banana bread recipes with each other, it was clear that there wasn't a lot. That some, somewhere along the line, there were people who probably had ideas that could have really helped us, but probably didn't get their idea up and running because they couldn't get the funding. So for me, the first insight was that we have a problem if despite all of our amazing entrepreneurial spirit around the world that we can't create solutions which are able to help us a little bit better than, than what we've had. Um, other insights, I, I've just, when I looked at blockchain more broadly, you know, I, it's one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. And, and I, I find myself framing nearly everything now in, in a, in through the prism of blockchain. It's like you know, it's a good idea, isn't it? Sometimes that it, is. It kind like, of is. Yeah. You know, it's just once the penny drops, you think, wow, yeah. this, is, this is pretty special. You know, like we had the thing at the beginning of January with uh, you know, Trump disputing the, the American elections. Like blockchain is a tailor-made solution for voting. I mean, it's, it can't be tampered with. It's fully transparent. There, it couldn't be any more closely set up than that. Yeah. In really, you know, that's, so they, when I see things like the, you know, the amount of problems we have with elections, I think, oh, God, this, it seems like a, a, a really important one. The other thing is privacy. Um, you know, we're hearing a lot more about privacy surrounding particularly the possibility of having to carry a vaccine passport and who's going to store that information. And it's, it's sensitive information should people have it. Um, blockchain, again, is a there, there's some extremely interesting stuff going on in blockchain around what's called self-sovereign identity, which is uh, using blockchain, you basically create a black box around yourself and every single piece of identity related to you is in a black box that only you control. So instead of you know, going to a website and signing up and giving all the information away, you give read access to that website to see what they need to see, only what they need to see, and then you take it away from them again. So you don't have this fear of your information sitting on a server at Amazon or Yahoo and suddenly getting hacked. And it would work perfectly for things like vaccine passports, health records. You know, I mean, health records is a minefield. 
you know, how many doctors have you been to in your life? I mean, you probably can't remember. And they all have a paper file somewhere or an electronic yeah. file with information yeah. on you. It's only a level up from a pigeon, really, when you think about it, isn't it? Like sending a letter, sending an email, as opposed to, you know, what do you used to do back in the day? <laughs> Getting pigeons to deliver a message. It's like, yeah, it's when you look at like. Yeah, well, there are, there are some industries and professions which are definitely way behind. Even in the even in today's modern world, they're way behind the curve. So they would definitely be be ripe for disruption with blockchain. I I come across situations every day where I think, well, this is why blockchain is going to work. And you know, people will say to me, "Oh, yeah, but you know, Bitcoin is a bubble and cryptocurrency is just a bubble." And I read something in a newspaper that it's not going to last. And, you know, people talk about the price of Bitcoin. It's one week, it's 3,000. Next week, it's 60,000. You know, it's all exaggerated, but people read this stuff in the newspapers. And, you know, what I say to them is, you may think that Bitcoin is not necessary, but if you're sitting in a country in the, in the developing world where you're unlucky enough to have an extremely corrupt government, where there's a real risk that the currency will be devalued overnight and you won't be able to afford a loaf of bread, for you, something like Bitcoin is like manna from heaven. It, it suddenly protects you against all of the things that you're scared about every day, and it provides you a place to safely store your, your money. So I think, again, when we go back to what I said at the beginning, the, the world is kind of okay if you're in the tent, but if you're outside the tent, it's, a not, it's not a particularly good world at all. And for people outside the tent, there definitely needs to be a solution to fix it. And, and I think this is where, where it comes in. Just even digging into some of them insights a bit more. Does this just even come back to even some of the mindset that you know we think companies are there to generate as much possible money as they can? That that's almost their 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 sole being. That idea of companies exist to generate profits and earnings for shareholders. Is there a generation that's not coming up? They're actually here and they're using this technology and they see things completely differently. Is that Absolutely, true that is true. And I think you know, go back to what you said first generation of people who, who focus on profit or anything else. And, and as a result, then people say, oh, capitalism is the problem. Like, capitalism is not the problem. The, the idea of people funding companies, companies growing, getting more money, generating money, employing people, that works perfectly. The problem is that the capitalist system is exclusive. There are a lot of people that are sitting outside it that would also benefit from being in it. So, you know, the, the idea of what blockchain would do is, is create capitalism, but a purer version of it across the board. Now, there are already a generation of people who are sitting out there and who are thinking differently about things. You know, sometimes you know, I'll read a report of what some 50-year-old politician said or 50-year-old banker said about where you know, Bitcoin's going. And frankly, I don't care because anyone who's older than 25 who thinks that they're really important for the future of the world is probably a bit deluded. I mean, the people who are going to really influence the next 30 years are the kids who are probably turning 10 or 11 today. They're the ones who will be participating in an economy in 10 years' time. And what they think is what's going to direct things. Not, not what I think, not what, you know, not what uh, you know, the SEC and the US think about regulation. It's, that's not what's going to, they're not the ones who are going to change this. So we have a generation of people, uh, young kids, who are, um, a lot of them are gaming. And in the gaming world, they're exchanging value with each other through digital tokens. They, for them, the, the creation of value that you can't touch that's normal for them. So they, they will actually take this to a whole new level and probably assets that you invest in will be things that you don't even, ex uh, don't even exist. Things like crypto kitties, these you know, digital things that make no sense to people like me, but would make a lot of sense to someone who's 20. They're the ones who are already out there and they are making the, you know, they will make the big changes. And we already see it as well with, uh, 
what happened in in January with the GameStop. Yeah, that was absolutely that was absolutely fascinating. I think for people who you know maybe don't view the world in the same way. That why or how even did so many people uh, of a certain generation? How were they able to completely almost approach a problem and actually linking back to what you say, saving a a community or an institution that actually meant a great deal to them? And, well, uh, that's the thing. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not going to comment on whether it was right or wrong. I mean, there's, yeah. there's definitely differing views on this. But I think if you step out of it and have, have a look at it in a big picture, I mean, this was decentralization at its finest. It was not on blockchain. This has nothing to do with blockchain. But this was basically a group of people who took exception to a practice that hedge funds engage in, which is shorting, pushing the price of a stock down in a company. They took exception to it, decided to collaboratively do the opposite and push the price up by purchasing it. And they succeeded. And why that was interesting is that their parents, or maybe maybe their brothers and sisters, were working in finance in the, in the last sort of 10 years. And the best that they could do when they got annoyed with what happened is they had the Occupy Wall Street protest. So a group of people sit on the steps of the New York Stock Exchange for a couple of weeks. That's about as good as it got. People in the GameStop situation was interesting because instead of sitting on steps where they were going to get nowhere, they decided to take action into their own hands and use the power of the people. I know it's a fairly anarchist phrase to use, but <laughs> it's what they did. It's decentralized. Yeah. Give, give everyone power and put them together. It's amazing what can be done. And I think that's what blockchain is going to harness that. And of course, there will probably be situations where blockchain will harness the power of people that might lead to situations that you wouldn't have liked. Yeah. But for the most part, it's going to lead to some spectacularly successful things as well. It's absolutely fascinating, Morgan, just to even to step back again, like you say, and to look at, you know, what did the people who actually profited from this whole event and what did they actually spend the money on? And, you know, there were stories coming out of people, you know, pumping it into looking after uh, rainforests and wild animals that have been affected by deforestation and, and so on. And this kind of, uh, does this tap into that idea of these circular economies of people getting together and spending money and spending their, their resources, kind of looking after things that kind of benefit everyone and it makes the world go around in a, in a way that they think is a bit better? Absolutely. That This is uh, exactly what this is moving towards is, is the concept of the circular economy, because unfortunately, with the current system, I guess people are making money and it's very difficult to try and get people to divert money to uh, causes that are worthwhile. So things that are touching on environment and sustainability are still seen as things that are almost donations rather than investments. Yeah, and they're almost is, things you do after you get to a certain scale, isn't it? Like a, the corporate social responsibility or a fund or a foundation almost or something. Absolutely. And yeah. that's what's, that, has, that is the way it has been up to now. There has been a strong push in terms of regulation in Europe in particular with regard to you know, sustainability and environment. So companies will have to start allocating certain amounts of money towards those projects. But to go back to what you said, you know, this blockchain is is an interesting example in the in the circular economy as well because what you have is the GameStop is an extreme example okay people made a lot of money overnight and it wasn't uh, blockchain based but in a going back to the world i described to you previously where let's say in unit ventures you have people who join the ecosystem they like a particular business idea they see they invest in it they become part of it the business grows and they make money on it and then that those tokens can be converted like so you're being paid in in blockchain currency which is effectively cryptocurrency so you're being paid in tokens in the unit ventures blockchain you could then move it to another area where you think okay i'm going to take my money now and i'm going to reinvest it not donate it but i'm going to reinvest it in projects that are helping the environment and helping the economy 
And we already have um, NFTs as a, as a buzzword at the moment because people are thinking about digital art and the fact that you can spend $68 million on a piece of digital art if you wish. Um, you might just unpick actually what exactly is an NFT because there's a lot of talk of it at the moment. So an NFT is basically stands for non-fungible token, and it relates to something that's uh, completely unique. So to give an example of something that's fungible, money is fungible. Uh, if you have a five-euro note and I have a five-euro note, we can swap them for each other, and there's absolutely no difference. I mean, they're both the same. But if I have a piece of artwork and you have a piece of artwork, they're both unique. So swapping them isn't actually what we can swap them, but the value isn't necessarily going to be the same. So the tokens that are built to represent ownership in unique items are called non-fungible tokens or NFTs. And they will represent anything from art, uh, real estate. People are actually having an opportunity now to invest in things that they would never have had a chance to invest in before, like collectibles, such as you know classic cars. You can have fractional ownership. You might not have 500,000 euro to spend on a classic car, but you could buy a fraction of one so that you're investing in a 1968 Ferrari and maybe going to make some money if it goes up in value. Same with wine, rare wines people are, are investing through tokens, through non-fungible tokens in the um, in, in investing in rare wines. So the, the non-fungible token is something which is something that can't be replicated. It's, it's representing a very, very unique thing, unlike uh, money. Now, in the blockchain ecosystem, these NFTs at the moment, we're hearing a lot about them uh, with respect to art. We're hearing a little bit more about them in music. But they also exist in other areas like um, tokens that are related to specific carbon reduction projects where you could actually, for example, you could take your money and invest into the planting of trees. And because those trees are reducing carbon emissions, those, the growth of those trees would be linked to a specific token, a carbon token that would then also have a value that you could sell to somebody who wants to reduce their carbon emissions. You're creating an entirely circular economy. But during the course of this, you're not losing money. You're actually making money. You're still, you're still allowed to be an entrepreneur. I mean, your capitalism doesn't die because of this circular economy. It actually grows much better. But you're also, you know, you're also enabled to help the economy, help the environment. Sustainability is, is not sort of a dirty word. It doesn't yeah. fall against all of these concepts. So that's kind of the, the circular economy is an interesting one. NFTs are definitely, I think, 2020 or 2021 is going to be the year of the NFT because everyone's talking about them. Sometimes it'll relate to collectibles like uh, NBA player cards or whatever. These will be things you'll speculate on for value. But NFTs will also carry some really, really interesting projects that will be you know, contributing to the circular economy as well. I think this also is probably the generation that has grown up with that phrase, creative content, people putting things out there. And particularly when you build it, factor it in within like a kind of gig economy almost. You know, you can definitely see how all these different things can begin to interact and um, something can begin to emerge from there. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, I'd go on that point of creative content and getting back to what I said about people with entrepreneurial mindsets. The way Instagram works at the moment, there is pe some people putting out superb content and they will have a fraction of the followers that somebody else has who's putting out okay content, but maybe photographs that are more uh, inclined to attract attention. Yeah. And they're the people who become influencers and they get paid by companies to market their products. Let's say you go back to the beginning and you put value on the, on the content itself. So each individual post, each individual tweet, these things can have a real, a real value and they themselves can be sold on. And that's where you can start to create. Um, the people will focus on quality rather than just quantity. That is, it, social media could even be reshaped by how this works. But again, you know, Instagram is, uh, is the middleman. Uh, they're the ones who are collecting the information and, and advertising. I mean, a blockchain alternative would be getting rid of the middleman completely.
And that's, I think, like when they made your point, you said, you know, sometimes when you step back and look at look, what's actually going on here, the point is be as entertaining, but actually is it a tackling a really important issue maybe. Uh, so, you know, looking to the future then, Morgan, what are your hopes for this space and blockchain technology in the future then? Um, well, I certainly hope that we quickly exit this period where at the moment where there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, you know, I, I'm really get frustrated when I read news reports and uh, see people talking about Bitcoin and missing the whole point. You know, Bitcoin's a bubble, Bitcoin's too expensive, and other people think that they shouldn't touch cryptocurrencies. And there, there are so many misinformation pieces out there that I hope we get past that. And I hope that people are educated. Now, people need to educate themselves. In, in 2021, I don't think anyone has an excuse for being, being not properly informed. There are so many YouTube videos, there are so many online courses, there are great books. You could easily, in a, in a matter of 12 months, become an expert in blockchain and cryptocurrency. It's not actually that hard. I hope that we get to that point that people start to realize blockchain's here to stay. This is something that's really important. And let's start thinking about ways that we can use it. Much like, you know, we had so many different iterations of what the internet meant. And then Apple came along and created apps. And now we have apps where, you know, the businesses are being built through the apps. That's really what blockchain could become. It could become a platform for entrepreneurs to come up with really great ideas and that we can move forward with that. So I really hope we, we get there. The other thing I, I guess I'd, I don't know if it's a hope I have, it's a kind of a concern I have a little bit is that I'm a big fan of blockchain and I'm, I'm a big fan of decentralization. I, I do think we still need to have certain controls in place. I don't think we can go to a completely decentralized world. But if we keep pushing forward with decentralization, we will eventually come to a point where people will really need to start embracing massive changes. So the first part of decentralization is removing the middleman out of what you're doing uh, day to day. So get rid of the bank, go into decentralized finance, manage your own money, get your own return, create your own financial future. You don't need anyone to help you. That's great. You can build a business without anyone in the middle. That's great. But what happens when you go to the point that you really don't need the central government currency anymore. And you move all decision-making power onto blockchain so that the people, everyone has a vote and every decision is made sort of with, with the people. Do you really need to have a government? And if you don't need a government, what does it mean to have a country? And if you don't have a country, what do borders mean? And if you don't have borders, then do we just become global? Do we just sort of organize the world in, in blockchains that reflect different ecosystems, people's different um, interests. You know, what does this mean to racism? What does it mean to inequality? Like there are, these are big questions which none of us in this generation are going to answer. And honestly, when we look at the amount of time human beings have been on the planet, <laughs> this could take a thousand years for it to happen. But I think it would be very naive for us to think that the global infrastructure that's in place today will be in place in the year 3021. It won't be. And we may very well may have moved to a completely decentralized world with no countries in 2021. But blockchain is the first step in that direction. And I think even those people that are big fans of decentralization and they'll tell you governments are evil and we don't need central bank currencies, those people also maybe need to temper their enthusiasm because if they get exactly what they want inside a generation, we will probably have complete social order breakdown. You know, you can't have people deciding they don't need their governments anymore. And so, so we need a little, bit of, a little bit of measure. And I hope that the sort of anarchist mentality just falls out of this altogether. And we make decentralization all about making the world a better place and just let those steps be incremental. And wherever that leads us, it leads us. But I, I really do hope that that 
you know, aggressive enthusiasm, start, enthusiasm starts to fall away. Morgan, it's been absolutely fascinating to hear some of your thoughts and some, some of your insights on that. So big thanks for joining us today and uh, I'm sure people are really going to enjoy it. No problem. Thanks for having me, Mark. Cheers. All the best. Hi, Mark here again. Thanks for listening and I really hope you enjoyed our conversation and picked up a few insights from it. Be sure to leave us a rating from where you get your podcasts and even better, share it with a friend who you think will enjoy it. Thanks again and I hope you tune in next week.